Hi everyone and welcome to the Money Mentors Podcast. My name is Glenn Fairburn and I co-host this program um, with Nathan Leah. We're both directors and private client advisors at Hewlson Private Wealth um, who also bring us this podcast. Um, Hewlson Private Wealth is one of Australia's leading um, independent financial planning and wealth management firms. Uh, look, the objective of this podcast is really just to improve financial literacy and financial awareness. Um, look, this week we do something a little bit different. We just have a general discussion about some of the few, I suppose, hot topics that are going around at the moment, um, bring some further information back from our recent um, study tour to the US. Um, so look, we hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Money Mentors Podcast. Firstly, uh, we'd like to, I guess, just somewhat apologize to our listeners. We've uh, had a had a couple of weeks away. Um, it's been a Glenn, it's been a pretty fairly busy last month or so for us. Um, firstly, in in a, our last two podcasts, we've talking about I've spoken about a trip to the the US, which the Hewison Advisors uh, recently went on, and we're going to uh, touch base about a couple of points from that trip again during this discussion um, and then Glenn you also had a, a week or so away in Thailand with your family a um, bit of a, a well-earned break and then obviously with the end of the financial year um, being financial advisors um, leading up to the end of June 30 is also a busy time for us so there's been a little bit going on hasn't there? Yeah look it's obviously a busy time from a financial perspective but as, as we said from the outset I suppose we've committed to to do to try and do a podcast every week so as you were saying this week we want to try and do something a little bit different, a bit of, bit of catch-up, just some of the hot topics that I suppose we've been talking about internally over the last sort of couple of weeks post our trip to the US, I suppose on the onset of the new financial year, some things that uh, I suppose are hot topics in the media at the moment. So yeah, I think it's, it'll be good just to have a more relaxed sort of general discussion about a few of the things that, that we've been talking about internally. That's right. Now, look, look forward to it. So um, I think to kick it off, we'll just go over a couple of things or a couple of takeouts or key takeouts from that, that uh, recent trip we had in the US. I think, Glenn, there was a couple of um, things you wanted to have a chat about. Yeah, look, one of the things that I found interesting um, from a financial perspective is what impacts our financial well-being. And, and I suppose when you think about your own personal financial well-being, um, the main thing that you'd think would be influencing that would be your income or how many assets you've got or whatever it may be. Um, now, Morningstar actually did quite a, um, I suppose, in-depth investigation into how people um, can affect their financial well-being. And what they actually found was that social comparison, so basically comparing yourself to somebody else, whether they had more money than you or, or less money or were in a better financial position, actually had more of an impact on your personal financial well-being than your actual income level of age, sorry income level age gender or, or education so what they're basically saying is that how you compared yourself to others impacted how you felt about your finances more than how much money you actually had mm. um, so it, look it was just I suppose an in interesting um, discussion where you know, in every income group, so regardless of whether you earned a lower level of income, medium or high level of income, most people had the tendency to compare themselves to people who were in a better, what they perceived to be better financial position than themselves. So it's always comparing yourself with the Joneses or 
you know, the grass is always always greener on the other side. And, and it was just an interesting sort of discussion around, you know, even, even if you were personally in a fairly good financial position, if you continue to compare yourself with someone who's potentially in an even stronger position, then you're never really comfortable with your own financial well-being. Um, so look, I, I just found that interesting because I think it's just human instinct, isn't it? That you always, no matter what, we've spoken a few times about the more money you earn, you know, your lifestyle increases and, and you don't feel like you're actually getting ahead even though you're earning more money. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was just sort of an interesting um, point to raise that you're probably better off not trying to compare yourself with other people that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the key takeouts was what, what they were basically saying was that you're probably better off comparing yourself to a mentor as opposed to someone who, who, who's um, you're just trying to compare what their level of income is. Um, and, and look, they weren't just saying look look down, but I think it's it's more so being appreciative of what you've got because whatever level of income that you may have or whatever level of assets, there's always someone who's who's worse off than you. Yeah, um, that, that's right. If, you, if you're looking up as well, like always aspiring to the that person in that better financial position than you, you are always going to be chasing your tail, aren't you? And you'll never be happy. It's never, never be content. It'll be never ending because there's always somebody, unless you're the richest man in the world. There's only one person of them, perhaps. It's all, you're always going to be looking upwards or aspiring upwards, aren't you? You're never going to get there. And I think it's if you do have a role model or, or a mentor, um, I, I think also that there's no point aspiring. I'm not saying to not have lofty goals. There's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. But if, if you're, you know, even if you're a high income, middle income earner, and you're aspiring to earn as much as LeBron James, who just signed a four year, you know, two hundred million dollar contract, are you ever going to be satisfied? Um, so I think it, look that, that was just a, I suppose an interesting discussion that 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 um, that was had following this research by Morningstar that that sort of I suppose opened my own, own mm-hmm. eyes um, because as I said I think you know human instinct is that we're sort of wired to make those social comparisons so always looking over the fence always looking to compare yourself with someone else and and, and mm-hmm. I suppose that can be driven by envy and insecurity as well can't it yeah and probably just just social standards. I think, yeah, as you said, when when you grow up, you always have a tendency to compare yourself with with somebody else. Which, which in a way, I mean, take the positive from it. You you're striving to be a better person, and and yeah. So the good side is is that, but the the downside is that maybe if you're never going to be fulfilled, that's the issue. Um, an interesting thing, uh, just when you explain that, Glenn, I was thinking about um, what about the exercise if you looked back and compared yourself to say ten years ago and where you are now like i think a lot of people um you know for example you always you always want to earn more so if you if you put let's say you're just starting out from from uni and you're earning a salary and then you know 10 years later you might be earning double that yeah and and at the time when you just finished uni you might have you probably never would have thought you might have earned that much but when you look back so I don't know. I was just thinking maybe if people actually look back and thought about how much they've achieved over the past five, mm. ten years or whatever, they might actually be quite satisfied with themselves. Yeah, and I think also, you know, there's a danger, aside from a financial perspective, I mean, there's, there's, there can be a real danger in comparing yourself with somebody else in any measure of life, isn't it? Whether it's sport, finance. Um, so what do people do then? Do they, do they set what's the I guess for our listeners what advice oh, look, for, could for, we offer if, if for any? me I mean mm. I, I actually was listen, I mean I, I love listening to podcasts I spend a fair bit of time in the car so I listen to a number of different types of podcasts and, and one message that really held true to me was not not trying to compare yourself with other people 
but trying to compare yourself today with who you were yesterday. So basically looking at yourself and saying, what areas can I improve in to make myself a better person in whatever areas, whether it's financial management or whether it's, you know, anything, sport achievements, fitness, health, you know, what, what can you do to, what, what have you done in the last day to make yourself better compared to who you were yesterday? So instead of comparing yourself with somebody else, compare yourself with who you were yesterday. And I think that's probably some good advice is self-improvement as opposed to, you know, there's nothing wrong with having role models and people to aspire to, but I think you really got to look yourself in the mirror and, and try and make differences that, that you'll be happy happy with. So just it's self-improvement, I think. So, so how, just on that concept, how do you think, what would be a good way to actually do that? Because, you know, yesterday I was a certain way, and for example, and you often forget what you, what you were like, you focus on now. Yeah. Whether, whether is it self-reflection or a journal mate I don't know write down self-reflection or, 360 mm. reviews I mean we, mm. we've just gone through in our business where everyone we all had a 360 review now no matter how great you might think you are there's always areas that you can mm. I, I hate to call them weaknesses and you probably agree that the areas of development areas yeah. of improvement and if you don't reflect on it yourself or you don't have people telling you what those areas of improvement are then you're never going to improve that's right and so I think mm. that's probably the best thing to do is most people know what their weaknesses are, whether you admit to them or, or whether you think you need to, to improve in certain areas. Um, that's up to you. But I, I think that there's, there's different ways where you can get that feedback from your peers, um, from your manager, from your family, but also looking at yourself and just understanding areas that you need to improve in to make yourself a better person. Yep, that's right. Um, and, and just tying back to the, uh, one of the things you spoke about before in terms of money and happiness, I mean, the amount of studies that have been done out there and, you know, just even from maybe your own network of people, uh, I think it's quite evident that having a lot of money does not necessarily make you happy. I'm not going to say that it makes you unhappy, but I think a lot of people when they are starting out or don't have a lot of money, I think there is that kind of fairy tale or dream that it's going to solve all your problems. It's probably somewhere in the middle, isn't it? I mean, if you've got no money, then that that sort of situation creates stress in itself doesn't it i mean if you're living in poverty yes you can be happy but i think there is a certain level of of you know financial stability that brings some happiness um but uh, there was a report i think it must have been released late last year i think the figure was like ninety thousand. once you start earning beyond that that there's not really a, a an incremental increase in your happiness just because you're earning more money um yeah that's right but once again, there's yeah. like it's a balance, isn't it? If you've got no money, you're probably not going to be happy. But I think as you get to a point where the yeah. wealth just continues to grow and grow and grow, money is not the motivation anymore. No, nah, no. Nah, I, st- I still, this quote or a comment from um, Gary, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk always brings in my mind about that where I think he, he just made a comment that he, you know, he was you know, working his busy job um, and, and he looked over and saw a couple of homeless guys, you know, living out of, living out of a, a shopping trolley and they were... You know, laughing, having fun. He's yeah. thinking these guys look more happy than me, and That's right. they've got nothing at all. So, yeah, it's just a, it's an interesting concept around that whole thing around money and happiness, isn't it? And I think that's one of the advantages of traveling, and and not just traveling to first world countries, but maybe traveling to third world countries. And, and you see, people talk about the minimalist lifestyle. When you see people who are who are living, um, not in poverty, but just living a simple life, don't have the desires for. Um, for purchasing material you know, items material like items, iPhones and things iPhones like that yeah. and, and lavish houses and things like that and, and 
I mean, I've, as you said, I've just come back from Thailand and you see how happy the people are there and they, they live very simple lives. You know, they, a lot of them probably are living in poverty, some of them not, but even like the middle class, you wouldn't classify them as wealthy from a Western perspective. But, mm. you know, I think when you do travel and you see the lives of other people, you can see how happy they can be even without a lot of the luxuries that we all strive for. And I think that's always the danger is that as you earn more and more money, your tastes, you know, you go from you know, wanting a, you know, a Toyota and then you earn more money, you want that European vehicle and then it just grows and grows and grows. Mm. Does it really make you any happier? Like probably not. Pro- probably for, it, for the first couple of yeah, seconds. That, and it, then that, you get that instant gratification and you're like, oh, okay, mm. it's just another car after a period of time. Mm. Um, so I think there's always lessons to be learned as you progress through life and as you sort of, you know, improve your financial position. Obviously, as you get older, your financial commitments probably change as well. So, you probably think, oh, when, when I was earning $25,000 a year, I was pretty happy. Now I'm earning four times that and I'm, I don't feel myself any better off financially. But you've probably got more commitments as well. So, mm. look, as you do get old and as, you, as your family grows and as your commitments grow, look, your desire for more money does increase. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, it's proven that just because you've got more money doesn't mean you're going to be any happier. Yeah, and, and without opening a can of worms into this discussion, I think it's, it's been a good chat, but I think the whole uh, uh, information age we live in social media all of that um perhaps a lot of people in other parts of the world whether it's thailand or whatever whatever country it might be that aren't as connected as as uh, westerners may be for example um and you know where you where it's being shoved in your face every second of every day on what at facebook twitter instagram whatever it might be people people with lavish you know luxurious products and private jets and things like that you think and you might be in a good position but once again that social comparison you're looking at somebody else and they look to be happy, maybe they're not, and it probably doesn't make you feel so good about yourself that, either. That's right. That's the dangers, I suppose, of social media and mm. the information age that we're in at the moment. Um, so, so I'll just kind of uh, move on to another, uh, I guess, discussion point I wanted to have around our, our recent trip to the US. Um, just, just some feedback or some comments that I was part of um, around the the mar- general markets. So the share market in particular in the US, I- I'll just, it surprised me that the level of optimism uh, over in the US. So I'm not going to say that we're over in Australia, we're necessarily um, you know, bearish or pessimistic, but I think the general feel is that a lot of people think that shares have, you know, generally speaking for a second, shares have had their run and you know there could be a bit of, a bit of risk in the air. Um, from speaking to a few different people, not just advisors, you know, fund managers, for example, I just found that um, the, the people over in the US were really, really optimistic about the market not stopping. Like obviously since the, um, since the, the GFC about 10 years ago, the, the US market has, has um, gained significantly from, from its lows. I think it's, um, it's up about three times from its, from its bottom. Um, and our market, yes, it's had a strong recovery from its bottom, but we, we've spoken a few times about in this podcast how it still hasn't um, recovered the, the 2007 peak um, where the US market has done that and more. So, yeah, I just found it an, an interesting um, kind of discussion that the optimism there. Yeah, look, there's probably a couple of points with that. I mean, I think when, when the market is strong, there probably always is for a lot of people that optimism. That, that can be in some ways dangerous sometimes when at the height of optimism, that, that can be a sign that, things you know might be turning the other way but having said that i think their optimism is probably driven by the fact that their economy is going pretty well isn't it regardless of your attitude from a political perspective with donald trump and a lot of that's really irrelevant from an economic perspective 
Um, I mean, their economy is going great guns. I mean, they've got low unemployment. Interest rates are looking at rising. And whether that's a perceived as a bad thing for markets, I mean, from an economic perspective, you're only increasing interest rates when the economy is going well. Um, so there's a lot of activity. And I think people are generally pretty you know, optimistic there because their economy is going so strong. You compare that to perhaps to here where you know, a, a lot of our economy has been driven in more recent times by the strength of the resource sector. Whether other sectors are growing at a similar rate is probably questionable. Um, and obviously, we're, we're now hearing signs of a slowing property market. And I think that has an impact as well on people's um, levels of confidence. I mean, most people, the biggest assets their house. So if they feel as though their, their house is increasing in value, they've probably got a greater tendency to spend. Whereas if there's concerns that the market might come off, they probably get a little bit more cautious. Whereas in the States, obviously the market, they had their correction during the GFC where on average you know, prices fell up to 50% and now they're seeing that recovery. So I think they're probably later in the cycle, aren't they, from that perspective and, and they've got that encouragement and that um, optimism from an economic yeah. perspective. Sure, sure. Um, I wasn't going to mention this, but just because it come up house prices, it is... It is. Um, I just thought I'd quickly mention that I know the media has definitely grabbed hold of in in Australia over the last month or so, probably the last two months. That yeah. that you know, there's a couple of economists that have come out and said you know, ten, twenty percent correction. And um, I just from just from my experience, um, I mean, it's a it's a big marketplace, isn't it? So it's hard yeah, to right. focus on particular areas. But uh, I mean, I. I keep abreast of property prices in in my area, for example, as you probably do when yeah, you are, Glenn. Most people would, I think. Yeah, yeah I haven't really noticed. <laughs> it doesn't happen overnight, like click of the fingers and the market drops ten percent. But I haven't really noticed much impact. You just wonder once again if that's the, you know, the naysayers trying to grab the headlines, or whether that'll. I mean, who knows how it'll play out? Yeah, mm. and look, a slowing market isn't necessarily a bad thing. No, not I at mean, all. Yeah, maybe it has come off a little bit, but don't forget how much it's gone up. Like, yeah, it might come off 10%, but it's gone up 50%. So it's mm. you, you need to take all those things into in, into context. Um, but also, I mean, yeah, the, the property market may be slowing a little bit, but so long as you're in a position where, as we've said so many times, you're not selling, does it really matter? Mm. I mean, if you've bought a house that you're going to live in for five, 10 years, you bought it today, does it really matter what it's worth at the end of the year? Fundamentally, it's just a paper it value. You're not selling yeah. it. So if, if you're holding it and you're in a position where you can continue to hold it, that's the key. And that's what we'd always remind people. Don't be you know, scared into selling an asset just because it's fallen in value. If, it's a, if you've bought a good property, it's in a good location and you can afford the repayments, then don't worry what it's worth in the short term because we've seen over hundreds of years that over a long period of time, you know, on average seven to 10 years, good assets will generally increase in value. So... That, that's what I'd be suggesting to people. Don't worry about what's written in the newspapers and things like that. That's right. Um, which leads perfectly into another another discussion I wanted to have today around market timing. So, look, I think when we did dedicate a podcast uh, on matters around market timing some time ago now, but um, just on that whole property discussion where um, you know people perhaps might be starting to think all the headlines are doom and gloom, um, the market might fall. 10%, I'm looking to buy my first home or a home now, should I wait? Um, and also, I had a, a discussion with a, with a client around investing in shares this week and you know, they said to me, um, you know, I'm a little bit worried about the, the trade wars in the US and, and China. Um, you know, I think I, I want to invest. I've got some money to invest in, in the share market, but I, I think it might be smart to wait. 
Um, what would you say to those two fraud. things? I mean, m- what I'd be saying to that is just look over the last two years. You don't have to go back too far and look at the number of times that people have tried to time the market. You know, US election, Brexit. And each of those times, the market that's, you know, most people say there's a lot of, you know, experts and um, investment professionals and all that sort of stuff. They've got it wrong. I mean, everyone was thinking that when Trump, if, if Trump got in, that the market would fall. The market didn't fall. Mm-hmm. Everyone thought that if, I, if the UK um, voted for Brexit, the market would fall. Yes, it did, but then it recovered. You just fraught with danger. Once again, take the long-term view. Yes, there might be a downturn, but if you don't sell, you're not losing any money. It's all on paper. It's just perception. Yep. Buy good quality assets and use those downturns as opportunity to buy more because 80% of the time the market goes up, if you're sitting on the sidelines waiting for it to go down, you could be sitting on the sidelines for a long time. I mean, how many, how many um, presentations that w- did we go to where, you know, years ago they were saying the US was overheated, like the, sh- the stock market, mm. and it hasn't fallen yet. Like it's yep. still gone up. And even if it does come off, it doesn't matter if you're not selling. Take the long-term view, buy good quality assets, and put them in. As Buffett would say, put them in your drawer and close the drawer, probably lock it for five to ten years, mm. and then go back and look at it. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, the best time we always say the best time to invest is now take a long-term view and let compound returns be your best friend. And and I think, yeah, whether it's shares or, or property, I think the same applies. And if you are looking to buy a property, uh, I mean, do your research and, you know, it is it is dangerous to to delay that or time that, speculating that the market might fall because you're, you're reading headlines that, that there's going to be yeah. a 10% correction. Yeah. And look, I was just going to say on the flip side of that, um, with the onset of the new financial year, there's been... I suppose a lot of super funds coming out reporting what their returns have been. Um, and I agree with you that you know some people are of the mindset that the stock market or the share market's overheated, so it is now a good time to invest. The, there's the other people who are you know looking at what their super fund's done in the last 12 months, so for the last financial year, and then comparing it to all these funds that are coming out saying we've done 10, 11, 12%. Um, my, my, really, my suggestion with those is is to not sort of chase past year's returns because every fund is different. And when you're looking at the performance of a super fund, don't just look at the the headline return. Look at where the money's being invested because a lot of those funds that have generated, you know, 10, 11, 12%, um, they've got 80% of their assets in growth style assets. So things like shares and property. Now, of course, if the stock market's doing well and the property market's doing well, then it's obvious the more you've got invested in those asset classes, the better off you're going to be. Now, if you're chasing last year's returns, then yeah, you're going to try and shift to those growth style um, strategies. But what you need to ask yourself is, am I prepared to accept the impact of a downturn if the market goes against me? Because if you've got 80% of your superannuation fund in growth assets and that market falls by 20%, then it's a significant downturn, isn't it? I mean, Mm. it's... You, you, once again, you just need to. It's all good and well to be comfortable when markets are rising, but um, I mean, we probably both saw during the the GFC where clients who were quite what we'd call bullish or growth type investors leading up to because the markets were doing well, they become very bearish when the market falls fifty percent. So you you need to sort of look at what investment strategy you're comfortable with in a rising market, but also ask yourself, would I be comfortable if this particular fund suffered a downturn? Um, I think that's just something that you need to look at, isn't it? When you look, when you're reviewing your super fund compared to the performance of another, look at where the money's being invested. Yeah. Don't just look at the yeah. return. 
yeah, unfortunately, a lot of people don't don't have the the knowledge or spend the time to to fully understand where their their super super funds for or anything for that matter is invested. And yeah, there is that tendency to chase yesterday's winners and 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 look at you know the past twelve month return without fully knowing where it's invested. And and yeah, I completely agree with what you said. That can and that can get people unstuck because they they need to understand the level of risk. And yeah, um, if a particular super fund had great returns but had a high exposure to for example, uh, I don't know resource stocks. For example, it might have uh, ran a lot, ran a lot higher than some other funds, but at a greater level exactly. of risk, perhaps. So and you might you might have a fund that's done ten percent, or let's just say it's done eight percent in the last year, um, and you're looking at these other funds that have done twelve. Um, my question would be: Yes, you can maybe try and get twelve, but that just means investing in a more aggressive profile, because a lot of these what they call growth style funds, they've probably got. 60 to 70 percent in australian international shares that's where the growth's coming from so once again it's not just about getting the best possible return it's about getting the best return for you for your given situation but also protecting your capital yeah and we're really big on understanding um the impact of your portfolio and down markets i mean that's one of the key the key kind of pillars or philosophies that we stand for in terms of um having a portfolio that can really stand up in a down market so just before we wrap up glenn was there any other observations from the u.s Look, that you want to the talk key, about the key points i mean the, there's obviously always lessons to be learned not not saying that the u.s is perfect and that we've got nothing to teach them but i think some of the things that we learned as we spoke about in our previous couple of podcasts um i suppose being a bit more optimistic the other thing that we mentioned last in our last post- podcast was the growth in um, ESG, so environmental, social governance um, issues when looking at investment. And, and also, the I suppose, a big theme out of the US now is diversity. Now, whether that's a financial impact or not, but I suppose the, the, um, the information that we were gathering and what was being told to us that from a business perspective, that the outcomes from a, having a more diverse um, staff or more diverse organization is that you can get better outcomes. It's not just having diversity for the sake of diversity. I think that's where a lot of people perhaps fall over with that with that argument. Mm. Um, but when you can actually see that the decision-making and the outcomes being delivered from more diverse organizations, I think that was just a, a good lesson to learn. Yep, De- definitely a hot topic uh, over in the US. And uh, we, we, I personally think it'll, it'll gain a little bit more traction over over in Australia in the in the coming little period. So we'll wrap up there. So um, yeah, a little bit of a different podcast today where we just talked about a couple of... Um, uh, I guess takeouts from from some recent travels in the US and a couple of other topical things that have been happening in more recent times. So once again, thank you for joining us this week and look forward to having you again next week. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, please, as we always say, check out Hewison Private Wealth at our website, which is www.hewison.com.au. You can also find us via the various social media platforms, so Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Uh, We'd also really appreciate if you leave feedback, um, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Um, Once again, hope you enjoy the podcast and we look forward to speaking to you all again next week.